Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever been to Bodega before? Well, great. You want to take a little mini tra- trip to Spain. And that's kind of the whole idea. When you walk into to La Bodega, you don't, we, we want you to feel like you're somewhere else, that you're not in Kansas City. All right. You ready? Let's go. From Fox 4 News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello. Hello. I'm Nick Vassos. <laughs> this is Signal Hill. Hi, everybody. Welcome into this latest edition of Signal Hill. We're talking KC Originals. It's been really fun in this uh, series that we've done with KC Originals. These are original restaurants uh, in Kansas City. They're locally owned, and there's about, I forget how many never, how many of them there are. Uh, but the one we're going to talk to today, uh, our guest is James Powell, and he is the owner of La Bodega with two locations, one on Southwest Boulevard, and there's one also out in Johnson County. Welcome, James. Good to see you. Thank you. Do you Thank know you. how many uh, KC Originals there yeah, are? Yeah, we fluctuate a little bit, but we've been in the 36 to 37 range for yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, how, how's restaurant business treated you? I mean, you guys have been around <laughs> for a while, right? Well, clean living right here. Can't you see? <laughs> oh, we're, this is not. Yeah, no. No, 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 you yeah. look great now. Come on. I must treated you well. You know, I, I believe it or not, I'm, I went to KU for in architecture. So I'm an architect by trade. And then uh, <coughs> just at age 14, worked at Leewood Country Club, kind of got into my blood, worked at Johnny's, you know, when it was just Johnny's and the up and under and Betty's and, you know, did that all through college and did a bunch of things post college, and I just couldn't get rid of it. Wow. So. Is, that, is that Johnny's in Lawrence? That's the one right yep. by the river? Yep. Yeah, so when it was still 18 and we had the club, the up and under, the rugby club. Oh, you know, you so and I might have crossed paths back in the I day once or I twice. I think I might have gotten you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no stories. I'm not going there. Yeah. Thank goodness there weren't cell phones back in those days. No no doubt. Wow. So um, being an architecture major, you, I would think you would have a, a sense of uh, cultures, history, that type of thing. And having a, a Spanish tapas restaurant like La Bodega kind of lends itself to... Um, Enjoying the Spanish culture and maybe some of their architecture. One hundred percent. And I'm little that I've talked to you. You you are you you're aware. You're keenly aware of those things. Well, uh, you know, it's it's funny. You don't realize when you're growing up all the influences that your parents have on you, or or just your environment in general. So, for example, my dad's an architect. He went to KU. My mother was actually a design major at KU. Her favorite artist was Moreau and Gaudi. And as an architect, my dad actually liked Gaudi and Frank Lloyd Wright and so on and so forth. So if you actually know a little bit about Moreau and the primary colors, and and in Barcelona he did all the artwork, and he has uh, up in Olympic Hill, they actually have the Moreau Garden, which is all the sculpture gardens. And then Gaudi was also into tile, and you know he does he he's which is still being built mm-hmm. the La, La Sagrada de Familia, which is the big cathedral in the middle of Barcelona. So if you if you kind of look at some of that art and architecture from Barcelona, you can see that in Bodega. So all these books, the Henry Moores, the Moreaus, the Gaudi, the Alexander Calders, that were all over our house and all the art, art and architecture. All of a sudden, you look at Bodega and the, and the tile bars and just kind of the the whole framework of the place. 
it's it's it says my parents, you know, and, and the upbringing that I had. So, and that was intentional by you when you first opened up the restaurant. Very right? much so. Yeah. So I, you know, I also did art history along with architecture. So I was a big fan of Matisse, and he had the Circle of Dance. So the art that Peregrine Honick and I did on the uh, walls, and it's mainly Peregrine. I'm not going to take credit for <laughs> some of her great work, but. Um, that's a story that we can't say on, on air. <laughs> oh, darn it. Those no, are the good... No dating or anything oh, like that. Okay, so okay. There's some good stories. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that, uh, you know, you, you take those influences and that became those nudes on the wall at Bodega, which then became the sculptures and the metal at the, the Leewood location. And even in the Leewood location, the three favorite artists, we call them the three amigos, in the back of the restaurant, they're all very lit up when you walk in, is Dali... Uh, is Dolly, uh, Moreau, and Picasso. So all those influences of those artists that were in my life that are keenly involved with Spanish architecture and art is throughout that whole restaurant. Very cool. Next time you go into La Bodega, you now have the story behind what you see there uh, on the walls. Let's, let's, let's jump ahead even before you started building the restaurant. What gave you the idea to get into the restaurant business? So, and, and, and why did you choose Spanish cuisine? You know, so I... You, you might remember or not that I started Casey Hops, which was Seventh right. Street Brewery. We opened that in '93. So, you know, when I was in Vail and I, I, uh, my roommate Artie Tafoya had the Hubcap Brewery, and we said, "Listen, let's let's look outside." So we worked in Steamboat. I'm like, I, I already live in a truck stop of a ski <laughs> resort, which I loved, and it's beautiful, but I don't want to go to Steamboat. So I'm like, I need to go do something. And if I'm going to move back to Kansas City, I want to do something unique. So we brought the first brew pub to the state of Missouri and on the Kansas side. And so that's kind of always been my foray. I don't want to do a burger in a bar place, though they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe I might do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I want to do something different. And so I took Spanish all through grade school and high school and a little bit of college you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm good enough. Obviously, we've taught you some words today. Yes, you have. <laughs> but uh, some of the fun ones. Exactly. So what was unique about it is is that you know I came back with the idea that I had all these experiences with Spain. So I traveled back there a couple times. My first time was uh, in '92 for the Olympics. So everybody in Vail, because I lived in Vail. Uh, you had all the Winter Olympians. Well, they had free free places to stay, even though they didn't participate in the Summer Olympics. You could all go out, out there. And since I was involved with the Devo team and everybody back at that time, like a bunch of us said, "Let's go." I mean, we Why got not? cheap, you know, discounted uh, fares, free place to stay. What other opportunity are you going to get to go hang out in the Olympics with a bunch of Olympians? So we did that, and I'll never forget the first experience I had in Spain and I was delirious. I hadn't slept in 48 hours, you know, and time change and seven hour difference and whatever is I just remember that little kid, which was like seven years old. I don't remember if you remember or know if you remember, but he shot the Olympic flame with an arrow. Oh, what? Yes. And it seemed like a mile away. Incredible. It was just unbelievable. I still think there was a string attached, but I, I think that's the best opening unbelievable ceremony lighting the cauldron I have ever seen in my life it was unbelievable but right upon that completion of that they rose the flag of Catalonia uh, which is the flag of Barcelona but Catalonia is one of the separatist states so you had the Basque country Catalonia and everything like that so of course we saw the riots the last couple of years Mm -hmm. in Barcelona that's been going on since the 1500s 
you know, we're just got social media now. So you said, oh my God, that's horrible. Well, that happens every year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the same time. Context. It, it is. So mm-hmm. the same thing happened because it was supposed to be the Spanish games, but they raised the flag of Catalonia in front of Spain. The next day, there's tanks rolling through the streets. There's riots going. I'm like, I love this country. This is, I mean, you never feel, you know, a little scared. You're a little drunk. You, you know, you're going around. The, the women are beautiful. And you're like, all right, I'm hanging out. Oh, my gosh. So that was my first experience in Spain. And then the second experience, uh, and I had several, was there were two gentlemen. And I lived in Chicago for a while, and we started the Sports and Social Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tom Murphy and Brett Fuller and the whole group. And uh, so I was kind of involved with that. And two of these guys uh, that lived in Kansas City were from Spain, one from San Sebastian, which is Denostia, the Basque country, and then one from Barcelona, Sitges, which is my, still one of my best friends, Albert Comos, and he lives in Miami now. And what was great about that is, like, all right, Marie went back to Barcelona, but Marie's dad was the city architect, architect for San Sebastian, and that is – the capital of tapas. I mean, if you want the best food in the world, and you've heard that Il, Il Bulli was there, which was the number one restaurant in the world for a, for a while, you just it beats Paris, it beats you know going to Italy or anything like that. San Sebastian is the place. Wow! So I got a private tour of San Sebastian because you know here's this kid that's the private architect or the the architect of the city, and then we went and I cooked for two weeks at, with his mom. And I learned as much as I could from Spanish cooking, and that's most of the recipes that have come back to La Bodega. That is so cool. What is it? What's the what the what's the food culture like uh, in Spain? Is is it traditional breakfast? Is it lunch? Is it dinner? Is it maybe less lunch? What what's the what are the eating habits patterns of those in Completely Spain? Completely opposite of us. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. So if they wake up by ten, <laughs> because they didn't probably go to bed till like four, but you know. I mean, it's not as extreme as, you know, going to Ibiza or Mallorca and staying up till 6, 7 a.m. at night. But they will literally get up and probably do the, their cafe cortada, which would be their espresso with con leche, which is a little milk or something like that. And they'll have a croissant with a little maple syrup. They probably have a tortilla espanola like we cooked earlier. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even at 10 or 11, they might do a little sip of vermouth you know, which is distilled white wine. And so, uh, you know, they kind of just casually wake up and casually kind of get going. And so maybe 10, 11 o'clock, they're at work, and they'll work for about three hours. So about 1 to 2 o'clock, the whole town will shut down. So if anybody grew up in Missouri during the Blue Laws, everything on Sunday was shut down except your church and your pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's seven days a week for about four hours in Spain. And so the whole, I mean, everything shuts down. And because they don't have uh, house insurance, you know, liability insurance, they all put, you know, here we're talking thousand-year-old buildings, you know, just gorgeous architecture. But at that time, all the metal garage doors coming down on the front of the buildings. (laughs) So (laughs) it looks like a Hubble as you walk through, and you're like, what just happened? And it's dead. It's like Dawn of the Living Dead. You're expecting some zombie to come out. So... Uh, then you go into the square and it's like Mardi Gras. And this is during the day, seven days a week. And what the, what the Spaniards will do is, and there's a little bit story of how Top has started, but what they will do is they will find their favorite item that they like 
and they will go to each one. And instead of reading the newspaper or watching CNN or the news, sorry, there's not the Nick Vassas of the world <laughs> hanging out there All because good. they're at the tapas bars, mm-hmm. is they will go and have their favorite item, but they will talk sports at this one. They'll talk politics at this one. They'll talk about love and marriage and the other one. So instead of reading the newspaper, they socially interact, and that's how they learn about what's going on. And they talk about soccer and you know Real Madrid versus FB Barcelona, and then they might get in a fight. Messi, but, you know, Ronaldo. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it sounds really healthy. I mean, I, I, it's and just small bites. They don't. They right. don't gorge themselves. Yeah. So from that point forward, then they'll go home. And that's family time. In Mexico, they call it siesta. But siesta is actually family time. And they'll eat their largest meal at that time. It could be 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's literally like Thanksgiving dinner. And they just kind of go and they hang out with their family in the, the middle of the day. And then they'll go back to work at 4, 5, 6 o'clock, work till about maybe 8, 9 o'clock. They'll top it again and do the whole social interaction again. And then if they do eat dinner, it's usually at midnight, and that's where paellas come into effect. And then they go to the clubs and rinse and repeat. It sounds so fun. Yeah, I mean, it really does. I'm ready to quit and move there. <laughs> <laughs> it is that is it is absolutely a, it's completely different. Completely, completely different. different. Yeah. Um, but what a great place to visit! And, and and when you go back there, do you find yourself immersing yourself in all of that? Yeah, I I do, and you know you. You have to kind of set yourself, you know, for a longer period of time in one place because if you skip around and you just hit the whole countryside, um, then you just kind of miss it, you know, because the dialect in, in like Barcelona, which is they're mainly speaking Catalan, which is a little bit of a French kind of Mediterranean Spanish dialect. So it's not the same words you would traditionally mm-hmm. know if you were in Madrid. You know, Madrid, you could speak solid Spanish and get along in Mexico City the same way. Mm-hmm. Then you go to San Sebastian, and they're speaking Basque. And they don't even know where that language came from. It's like Armenian slash German, Russian, Spanish. It's it's crazy. So, you know, but the good thing is a lot of people speak English, so you can get around pretty easily and go. But, uh, the you know, if you, if you can kind of take two weeks and you go, all right, I'm going to be three days here, three or four days here, I'm going to be three or four days here, and kind of so on – you're going to get a, a, a better context of the country and, and get a better experience. Like, you don't want to go to Rioja or Yeda and just do some wine and some, some ham. You actually kind of want to go all the way around. You know, go to Napa, you know, two or three days isn't really enough. Right. So if you kind of think in that same context, you want to spend a little bit more time there. And uh, it's, just, it's, it's just a crazy country. I mean, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly was filmed there. Yeah, so Clint Eastwood and all those spaghetti westerns that they did. I don't think I knew that, really. So those were all filmed in the middle of Spain, in Tharagosa and that region. Wow. And so you kind of just, it's vastly different. I mean, that whole country just is very green here, very deserty here, very Mm -hmm. ocean-like here, very rocky and mountainous over here. It's, it's, It's really cool. That is cool. And you've captured a lot of those influences, and you have them sort of come alive, and you share them with uh, your customers uh, here in Kansas City. And let's talk about some of the individual item uh, items on your uh, restaurant. Uh, and first I want to talk about is the uh, tenderloin. Is the tenderloin. Sorry I'm about sorry, that. I'm I sorry I didn't, I, well, I'm sorry I didn't bring the tenderloin. Yeah, so, you, yeah, you didn't bring the tenderloin. But uh, 
that came from, and all the recipes you say again came back from the your visit when you were in San Sebastian. San Sebastian, yeah, yeah. So, did that tenderloin recipe come from there? It it didn't. It did, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So it's it's chiefly kind of a Yaeda, Thuragosa, where a lot of the meat is done. Um, I also had some good experiences from Cafe Babariba up in Chicago. So let us entertain you. It opened that pr- uh, probably about eight years before we open. So they're going almost. 30 years now. We're 21 years. And so um, I kind of had that dish there. And then when we went back to Spain, I was trying to find it. And I, so I found some derivatives or some you know complementary mm-hmm. similar items. And uh, we just said, all right, this is how we're going to do it. Because in, in quite honestly, if you put a piece of Cabralis on there, you're not going to be able to eat that. It is the stinkiest, pungent, strong blue cheese you'll ever have. I mean, it's aged about minimum 18 months to typically three to four years, and it's just got a green vein, and it's it's wonderful. I love it, and it's creamy and and just nice, but but it it would overpower that meat. So we actually cut it down and do it in garlic breadcrumbs and make actually a patty with some butter in it and kind of mix it up. And that's, that's how it kind of melts over and becomes so good. But then we ladle it with that sherry mustard vinaigrette. And just the combination just makes it really good. Top seller on your on your uh, menu? Oh, yeah. For All, sure? Always has. What's another popular one? Uh, the pincho de pollo and chorizo is really good. Um, you know, but even some of the, the, the standards with, you know, the jamon, the queso... Uh, Oh, queso de cabra. Actually, that's uh, we won't say what that that is for, but the women love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, and it, that's the uh, that's the goat cheese and the tomato fresco. That's baked. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, so God, people that love that. Great. How do you? What makes your sangria so special? It's special. It is special, and it's secret. I've had more <laughs> more than one person tell me about the sangria. Well, you know, I was trying to use that word utilitarian. <laughs> utilitarian. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I know. I said it well over there, but I still screwed Too up. Too many syllables. So, you know, from an architecture background, uh, you know, a lot of us learned how to reuse and recycle, and, and through the whole leaves of grass, Walt Whitman kind of approach that Louis Sullivan and Frank Frank Lloyd Wright had. And the, the, the Spaniards live that, and that's the way they've always been. Nothing goes to waste. And, um, and a lot of it is, you know, I hate to call it peasant food, but a lot of the great food in, in, our, in our countries are derived from peasant food and how people ha- are forced to kind of create something out of the limited resources or the local resources they have. So a lot of Spanish food, the tortilla espanola and, and even, you know, um, uh, paella for the most part, is taking what they have and kind of putting it together and using all all the pieces. So rendering stock, using the with the bones to somehow using the casings through tendons and so on and so forth of the meats. But that's the same thing with sangria. I know tendons and meat don't really translate to sangria, <laughs> but um, you know the, the the short story about tapas is that the tapas and and if we have time, I'll go into the tapas story, but. The tapas at a tapas bar were traditionally free because they would eat, the more they would eat, the more wine they would drink. And so the more wine they drink, they charge for the wine. Mm-hmm. So, but if they, if they open all these bottles and they left over from the night before, they oxygenate and the wine goes bad. But they're not going to throw it out. 
So they can't serve bad wine. So they go, hey, let's create this sangria. So what they do is they fortify it with brandy, Spanish brandy, and fruits and, and orange juice and grape juice and whatever their recipe is. And so by fortifying it with the brandy and the triple sec, kind of brings back out that wine and livens it up a little bit. Very interesting. Now tell us the tapas story. Okay, so tapas kind of date pre-1500s, and a lot of it, and you know, the French are very proud of their cooking techniques and who they are and everything like that, and the Italians are over here, but we all know that the Spanish were the explorers along with England. And so, um, you know, the Spaniards traveled the globe, and they, you know, from a traveling standpoint, the British couldn't go. They had to go all the way around the Horn, uh, you know, uh, through uh, South Africa, mm-hmm. and it was dangerous. Well, the Spaniards were always traveling to the West Indies and getting all the spices, like the curries and the, saf- the saffron uh, flowers and, you know, any, any of those great corianders and stuff that weren't probably chiefly known for Spain. Now, saffron is, but that also came from the Indies. And so you had the port of Barcelona. Everything kind of came in through that Mediterranean Sea and, and stopped off there. Well, at the same time, you had all the pilgrimage trails, the religious pilgrimage trails going up. Mm-hmm. And so you had the inns that circled around the cathedrals and the squares. And, and literally people would take their pilgrimages and go up and down through Spain, up into France, into Germany. And so they would travel with their spices and their food and everything which influenced most of the food that you would see in France. Now, I'm sure that, you know, all the Café Provence and <laughs> right. the Fruit Frog and, you know, Mano's <laughs> over there pulling his hair out, pissed <laughs> off at me right now. But, you know, there was, you know, and the and French obviously influenced the Spaniards too. But, um, you know, you really can kind of see the influence that Spain had. But now the Roman Empire had an influence on Spain. And so the Valencia, the lowlands of Valencia, where all the paella rice is, that's boreo. But the rice didn't come out the same way as it did because it was all rocky surfaces and terraced. So because it was very minerally and hard, the, the rice actually suffered and, and, and was hard to grow. But they grew it anyway, and it became this really stubby, hard rice, which is paella. It's very, it has that very crunch and al dente kind of format to it. So... Um, that's kind of how the influence is. So if you think of the Clint Eastwood, the Spaghetti Western, mm-hmm. and this guy's coming in with his, his traveling and he's on his horses, and there's there's dust and flies swirling around, you know, the courtyard and in the in the inn. This guy comes in and he wants a glass of wine. Well, there's dust and flies everywhere, and it's getting his wine. Well, the innkeepers would take a piece of hard, crusty bread and put it over the top of the wine to cover the wine. Tapar means to cover. Tapa means little lid. Ah. And so then these guys would eat some bread and, well, I'll have another glass of wine. And the innkeepers got smart and started giving them more bread for free. And then this guy over here had a ham, uh, you know, a homo and a serrano or a birico sitting up there hanging, curing, and you go, well, sliver off a piece of ham, put that on the bread. And this guy is over here. He, he he's got a ton of cheese in his in his cellar. He goes, well, I'll get some machango or you know mahon or something like that and put that on. This guy's into tomatoes, so he does Catalan bread and puts the tomato sauce and garlic and a little olive oil on. And then this guy's, well, I'm going to combine all those and make this, you know. And so it became this array on these tapa bars, 
And this guy was very strong on this. This guy was very strong on that, which created the tradition that we talked about of the guys going around finding their favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. So the food was the binder or the medium for the social the social aspect, and the, they were just selling wine and making money off their wine. And so that's how tapas started. That is so. Food is history. Very much so. Wow, that is yeah. so cool. What is the difference between uh, what you described there and a char- charcuterie board? Um, is there much difference? Are they kind of the same? Well, or is it just called something different? Yeah, I mean, I think charcuterie, it's come out uh, definitely out of the butcher days in England and even France. France, You know, when you, you know, when you have charcuterie is, is, hey, here's my salami that I dry cured and here's my my hamon that I dry cured and I everything see. like that. Okay. So it has, it, it's more of your meats and cheeses and array that you could put out and display and kind of show that and everybody can try something. So it's cool to put like a, a mustard, a uh, lemon mustardo or, a, um, or, you know, uh, a raspberry, uh, Julie or something like that on there with some candy walnuts and stuff and put it all together with bread and eat it. And, and there's some restaurants that have even taken that a little bit far further and they're making toast or tortadas and then combining all that and making a, a pre-assembled situation, gotcha. which is tapas. Gotcha. And, that's, and so there is similarity. And so like an Italian place would have their salami, their beef, their, their dry cure, their uh, prosciutto or something like that. And prosciutto is very similar in the same process as, as Spanish jamon or Iberico. And so we'll put that together just like everybody else. That's cool. But we'll call it a tabla. I called it a what? A tabla. A tabla. Yeah, so it's a board. <laughs> oh, okay, a tabla. Yeah. Got it. Um, if somebody comes in there for the first time in your restaurant, what would you recommend? What do you, what do you I know there's all kinds of tastes and I'm kind of hard, but yeah. if somebody's there for the first time, um, what do you, what would you say? Well, that's kind of the, the, the first thing we say. Have you ever been to Bodega before? Mm-hmm. Well, great. You want to take a little mini tra- trip to Spain. And that's kind of the whole idea. When you walk into to La Bodega, you don't... we. We want you to feel like you're somewhere else, that you're not in Kansas City. And that's been the kind of the way from day one. So it's loud, it's boisterous, it's entertaining, there's the art on the wall, the food's different, the smell's different, the wine's different. Even we bring Australia beer in from Spain, Dom. And so the whole idea is to, to be in Spain and have that kind of feel. And and so the, the you know, a lot of times there's a great kind of the opening week that we were open. Uh, story here, but it, it 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 it's really neat that people will literally set back and relinquish control and let the server go, and so and that's what we try to do is like, hey, it's you know it's kind of like drinking. You do rounds of drinks, you do rounds of food. Just start off small, and, and and when you're done with that, order a few other things, but then save room for your paella. So we'll offer the queso de cabra, which is the goat cheese baked in the tomato sauce. We'll get the asparagus ahumado, which is um, uh, smoked salmon wrapped asparagus with a, uh, a cabrales sauce. Uh, the solomillo coca cabrales, obviously. The pincho de pollo y chorizo, which is the chicken and chorizo skewers. So there's probably a, a good five. I mean, we've got 45 tapas, so it's not like a small menu. But, you know, we'll get about five to six items that are typically strong. But then we have a few that will are a little bit different, like the dates that are stuffed with the chorizo. And, and when we say chorizo, it's, it's actually Spanish chorizo. So it's a little bit different. It's not as spicy, mm-hmm. you know, or loose or soft. It's hard cured chorizo. 
which has uh, you know the pork and sherry and and garlic and everything like that. So it's very flavorful and rich. But we'll stuff that into the um, into the dates and wrap that with pancetta, and then basically grill them off. And they're wonderful. But people freak out at first. They're like, oh. well, it, it's it's like meat candy. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, at first it was like, oh, I don't want to try that. It's this black thing there. And they put it in there like, oh, my God, that was wonderful. Can I have more? Exactly. <laughs> so you want to throw in something a little bit, you know, off the wall. You know, and if they don't like it, we'll buy it from them. You know, I'm not going to give them something they don't like. Wow. You know, and of course, if they've had plenty of sangria, we'll just we'll start throwing some more food out. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next. Yeah. James, this has been fascinating, man. This has been a great conversation. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, and folks listening to this here, uh, wherever you are, go check out La Bodega. Be transported back to Spain and uh, go with your friends. Have good conversation. Um, Best happy hour in Kansas City. Absolutely. James Powell, hey. the owner of La Bodega. Thank you so much. Appreciate sure. it. Sure. Uh, Signal Hill uh, is produced right here on uh, 31st and Southwest Trafficway. You can find our podcasts uh, wherever your podcast is found, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes. Mike, what's the other one out there that I'm missing here? Is it uh, see, uh, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes? Spotify. Spotify. Of course, Spotify. It's on Spotify, too. Uh, we also have all of our podcasts on our website, fox4kc.com slash podcast. You'll find the Signal Hill podcast right there. And if you want notifications on all of our podcasts across all of our, you know, Abby, Marks, Megan's, uh, Joe's, uh, Crazology, all of them, you can uh, subscribe on Facebook to Fox 4 Podcasts. Hit the like button. Right there, hit the like button, and you'll be automatically notified when a podcast comes down. So thanks again to our guest, James Powell. Great to see you, man. That was fun to, a fun chat. And we thank you for listening to this latest edition of Signal Hill. I'm Nick Vassos. We'll talk to you again next time.